Good morning, church. I am excited to be up here. Uh, I'm excited to uh, not just to be able to preach, but to uh, be able to preach on this topic. And I'm going to give you a little warning. Hopefully it turns into a little bit of an encouragement. Uh, This is going to be hard for me to, to do. I'm going to have to work at this. And you all are going to have to work at receiving it. So I just want to encourage you to, to be active listeners. Uh, engage with what I'm going to be saying, because uh, there's going to be some things that I say that um, should make you go, huh? And I don't quite think that sounds right, or that sounds different, whatever. It should hit you a little weird. and. That's good. It's um, it's it's so good actually that um, that I want to be able to have a little bit of time afterwards for Q and A, if we can do it, if I can get through this. And um, there should be questions, is what I'm getting at. There should be questions. And so, if you're a believer, a member here, and you have a question, or if you're an unbeliever. Any question will be welcome. Uh, no, one, no one will be uh, made to look silly or, or uh, you know, there's no, I don't know, sometimes people are weird about asking questions in public, and you might want to come up and ask me afterwards. That's fine, but just re- realize that if you have a question, there's probably other people that have the same question. So if we can do it in the Q&A time, it'd be beneficial for everybody, I think. So uh, there's that. Um, Uh, The the reason I'm kind of opening like this is because I believe wholeheartedly, I'm 100% convinced that the the issue of the Christian worldview uh, is is one that is life-changing, one that is life-giving. It's it's so radical that uh, in the past it has turned the world upside down, and I I believe that it can do it again in our uh, area today. And so that's why I'm going to strive to do this well, and that's why I'm asking you to strive to, to listen well and, and bring on your questions. And if we don't get, if you don't ask a question in the Q&A, you can, you can email me, text me, uh, show up at my door, and we can talk about it anytime. I, this is being recorded, so have at it. Sorry about that. All right, so here's, I'll go ahead and start with something that should raise some questions right off the bat. The, the Christian worldview, is the, this is my claim, the Christian worldview is the only worldview that can expose all falsehood and prove all truth. Or to put it in uh, the Sunday morning Christianese, uh, it is only the whole gospel that can dispel all the lies of Satan and reveal all the truth of God. Now, I'm not just talking about in the religious realm. I'm talking about all truth, all falsehood. That's my claim. Only the Christian worldview can, can do that. So, as we get into this text, let's look at Paul's context real quick, and we'll look at our context real quick, and then we'll, we'll go through the points of the, of the message. Uh, Paul's context in, in, in 2 Corinthians is a lot like uh, the, 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 the context of Galatians that we have gone through, the, the series in Galatians that we've gone through. Um, <clears throat> Paul established a church in Corinth. He moved on to continue his missionary work, wrote a letter to the church, and they wrote a letter to him. There's some correspondence. Uh, that's 1 Corinthians. And then uh, Paul gets a, a report from Titus or Timothy. He gets a report from somebody that the Corinthian church is, uh, has this group of people that have showed up. Um, this, this group of people were, were really influential socially and in the religious world. They, they, they seemed spiritually powerful. Uh, they spoke much about their spiritual experiences. They spoke of their high pedigree and lineage, um, and they were apparently very eloquent, and, and this group of people um, 
came to the Corinthian church and began to undermine Paul's apostolic authority by saying uh, he isn't eloquent and he uh, doesn't have these spiritual powers that we have. Um, some commentators believe it was a group of Judaizers, just like in, in Galatia. Some believe it was some other groups. It doesn't matter what the group is. It's, it's a lot like the Judaizers in Galatia. They, were come, they came in after Paul and began to undermine his apostolic authority. So, so in the context of this letter, Paul is again having to defend his apostolic authority uh, against a, a group of intruders that were seeking to undermine the church in Corinth. So here's the point about Paul. He didn't defend his ministry, and we know this from Galatians. He didn't defend his ministry and calling because he was an insecure uh, leader who found his identity in having a following. Or he didn't find his identity in being able to say, look, I established these church, look how great I am. He defended his uh, calling and his ministry because he knew that what he was given and what he was preaching was the only gospel that could set people free from sin. It was the only gospel that truthfully communicated who Christ was and what he did. Paul preached the unadulterated gospel. Many times he calls it his gospel. It's because his identification with what he was given was so close, he, could, he, he took ownership of it. So uh, if the Corinthians were rejecting Paul, they were in in effect, rejecting Christ. So for Paul, the authority of the word of God was on the line in Corinth. So that's Paul's context in general. Our context, uh, as it it always is with scripture, we can't uh, read too long before we get that feeling that uh, this ancient text is somehow reading us more than we are are reading it. Uh, Just like in Paul's day, there are there's many groups of people that uh, are challenging the authority of God's word. Um, they, 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 challenge that, uh, they challenge God's word in, in many different ways, but what they're really saying is, uh, has God really said? That's what, that's what their challenge is. Has God really said? Has God really spoken? So if that's what's at stake, I can think of no greater issue that deserves our attention and our energy and our effort uh, than to dig into what the Christian worldview is and specifically how the authority of God's word is the foundation of that worldview. Because here's the deal, when all, when all the competitors, when all the competing voices are quieted, whether it's a a, a philosophy of uh, economics like Marxism, or whether it's uh, an atheism or evolutionary philosophy, or whether it's a, whatever, whatever, when all those are, when they say their part, when they say their piece, when they make their attack, um, when all the various gospels that are proclaimed, uh, when they're all set forth, this is what it comes down to. It comes down to uh, we either live in a world where God really has spoken or we don't. And we don't need to be here if, if we don't. This is, a, this is a horrible joke that we're playing if this isn't true. So that's the, that's the, the antithesis. I don't want to use that, that word. The anti- the, the, that's the contradiction. That's the conflict that we're faced with today. So, our text this morning is Paul's descriptions of the various aspects of how we wage war in the, in the kingdom of God, how we wage war as Christians in this world. So there's four areas that he lays out, and, and these four areas all have to do with what make up the big biblical worldview and how we uh, what we're, we're calling worldview warfare, how we engage in worldview warfare. I wish I didn't write that so many times. I'm going to have to say that over and over again. Worldview warfare. <laughs> worldview warfare. So the four points are uh, the, the, the battleground, that's the, the theater of war, the weaponry, the combatants, and the victory. 
Those are the four points we're going to look at. Verse 3, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Paul is using a little uh, word play here with the word flesh. It has a broad range of meaning, and, and he's saying, although we walk in the flesh, that is, we live in our bodies and, and, and in, the, in this physical world, uh, we don't wage war according to the flesh in the, in the, in the spiritual, uh, worldly kind of way. So he's saying, uh, yes, we must live in this world, but we cannot uh, live as the world lives. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of it, is what Paul's saying. So what I want to ask is if, if or, or what, I want to, what, I, what I want to say is that if Christians are in the world, but we cannot operate as the world operates, but we still have to live in this world, there can only be one result for us, and that is conflict, right? Yeah. That, that has to happen if, if there are these two opposing worldviews. If, if they have their ways and we have our ways, and each way claims to be the truth to the exclusion of the other, then there will be a battle raging on every front where these two worlds meet. So the question is, where do they meet? Well, since the Christian worldview says that God made everything that, is, that exists, everything that's not God, God made it, since, since that's what the Christian worldview says, and since the Christian worldview says that uh, the God who made everything also sustains everything by the word of his power, everything, uh, and, and sure, this creation has fallen into the bondage of sin and death, but God is taking it back. If the Christian worldview says that, and, and every other worldview will deny part or all of that, then the battle lines are already drawn. The, the battleground exists wherever the curse of sin and death is found. The battleground is everywhere. There, there is no part of God's creation that he is willing to give up to the enemy. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna have a lot of scriptures here I tried to get them all included on here so we didn't have to spend a lot of time turning. If there's some that are missing, it's my fault. I, I gave them something and it's not all there. So, so I'll do my best to at least jot the ref, uh, give you the reference. And, uh, but I, I'm, I'm doing this on purpose. I have a lot of scriptures because I'm wanting to not just tell you that God's word is the foundation of our worldview. I want to uh, do my best to demonstrate it. Um, so these claims that we're making about the battlegrounds and the weapons and the combatants and what's victory, I'm trying to pull all, all those out of Scripture so we can see how it's all rooted in there. Uh, so the, the battleground exists wherever the curse of sin and death are found. That's, that's everywhere. Romans 5.12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam and Eve, uh, and death came through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The battleground is everywhere. Uh, think through those. Think through what we just read and realize the 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 area that those things cover. Following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the following the desires of the body and of the mind. That that's Paul's way of saying everywhere has been infected with this sin, with this evil influence that's under the bondage of sin and Satan and and death. That's what that's what he's getting at. So. Uh, the battleground is everywhere. So, and, and just to be clear, we're not just identifying the battleground on merely uh, geographical lines or spatial lines, like just the physical world. Uh, the battleground also covers the whole world of ideas, the, the, the world of thought or the intangible. Uh, 
uh, things. And in fact, that's where the, the battle really begins. Uh, and that's why the issue of, of worldview is so important. See, our worldview, our worldview forms the foundation upon which our thoughts and beliefs are formed. So there's your worldview, whatever that is, feeds into how you think and believe, and your thoughts and belief uh, kind of ooze out of your life in, in action, in the, in the physical world. You, you do and, and say what you really believe and think. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's along those lines. Uh, <clears throat> so, so the world of ideas uh, is where the battle really begins. Not just the physical, uh, uh, ge geographical world. So the, the important point to understand in all this is that there is no neutrality. There's no safe zone. There's no Switzerland. There's no place that you can go to be protected from this conflict. It's everywhere, and you're in the thick of it. The, the entirety of the visible and invisible world is a, a hot spot of worldview warfare. Okay? That's the battleground. Uh, secondly, the, we the weaponry. Uh, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. So, so just as there is an, uh, this conflict, just as there's an antithesis between uh, the people who live according to the flesh and the people who live according to, to uh, the Christian worldview, um, there's also an antithesis between the weapons that each side uses in this battle. They're in direct conflict with one another. And so what I want to look at real quick is, is uh, Paul calls our weapons the divine power weapons, and so I'm going to call the other weapons the world power weapons, um, just because I'm that clever. <laughs> the world power weapons. Um, so yeah, the world power weapons. First uh, John 2.16, the Apostle John writes, for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. In 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, and here's a point for our text is, uh, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, we could pull out a lot of other scriptures, uh, especially in the gospel accounts, where we have our and Acts, the, book, the narrative parts of the New Testament where the leadership, whether it's political leaders or religious leaders, where they will go to, um, uh, they will use the weapons of, their, of the world, things like um, uh, bribery, lies, they will abuse their power, they will, they will manipulate to try and achieve what they want done. Um, we could point out several places in, in, in Scripture where it, where it says that, but... Uh, um, so I just want to list a couple of the, of the kind of obvious world power weapons. Uh, abusing power to dominate. Okay, we see that happening. Uh, we see that happen on a national level. We see that happen on the family level. Uh, using, abusing power to intimidate, to threaten, to manipulate, to deceive. Those are all world power weapons. Praying on the fears of people, praying on the desires of people to get what you want, um, praying on the ignorance of people. So this is a this is a pretty obvious category. You all know what I'm 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 scratching at. Y'all, it I'm scratching at. You you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. The, I don't know why I say that stuff. Um, I, you know what I'm getting at. This is an obvious category. Uh, Let's move on to the divine power weapons. And here we are going to have to turn to Ephesians 6. Um, and I knew this from the start. I wanted to read this uh, right away. Um, Ephesians 6. Verse thir uh, 10 through 17. 
This was probably familiar to most of you, but these are the, these are the divine power weapons that Paul is talking about here. Paul is writing in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. By the way, that word armor there in the original language is the same word that Paul uses for weapons in our text. The weapons of our, our, um, our, have divine power. Uh, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Sounds familiar. Uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. I want you to think not evil spirits. All right, there are evil spirits, but when you read this, I want you to think world, uh, ungodly or, 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 or de deceiving, I'm trying not to say worldviews. I want you to think of other worldviews is what I want you to think when you're reading this, because those spirits are behind these different thought systems, these different philosophies, these different claims all stem from this uh, uh, world of evil um, uh, cosmic powers and authorities and rulers. So uh, I'm not denying the reality of these spirits, but I'm, I don't want you to stop there either. Realize that these spirits have an effect on the world in this battle. Sorry, we keep reading here. Over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, and he goes on. I don't know. I, there's, a, there's like the Sunday school mentality about this, and I don't, that's good for, for kids, to have the Sunday school mentality about the soldier with his armor on. And that's good. That's what Paul's saying, but, but this is, Paul is describing worldview warfare here. He is saying that faith, the shield of faith, will be able to defeat every attack that the devil will throw at you. Now, you're never gonna be against the devil with his forked tail and red horns, and he's not gonna be throwing darts at you, but you will be confronted with another gospel. You will be confronted with a different uh, religion, a different philosophy that will exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And that's what Paul's talking about here. We've been equipped with these weapons that have divine power to defeat all comers, all challenges. Um, I, I just want to reference Philippians 2. Um, I was going to read it, but let's just get through this here. I, I think we're getting the point. Uh, Philippians 2 uh, is just a beautiful text about the humility of Christ uh, giving up his his place in heaven and coming to be as found as a man and giving himself up for a sacrifice for us. This, this idea of, and Paul is telling us, as Christ was, let this mind be in you. Uh, be a humble servant um, of, of your brothers and sisters. Um, the idea being that those are divine power weapons. Humility rather than pride and arrogance. Humility and submission. Um, service in love is a divine power weapon. And then there's 2 Corinthians 13, 4. I'll just read it here. For he was, uh, Jesus was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. This idea of uh, being weak in the eyes of the world is true strength. So I, I, I hope we're just starting to see how radically different these two groups are, how, how radically different these two uh, parties are, these two armies are in this, in this battle. Uh, there, there is no part of creation that uh, isn't under a claim of ownership. Everything that is created is fair game in this fight. It's up for grabs, so to speak. 
Uh, the battleground is everywhere. And the methods, uh, the weapons of our warfare um, could not be in, in, in any sharper contrast with each other. You have, you have abuse of power, domination, manipulation, uh, pride, uh, all that deception. And then you have over here, uh, the world sees uh, weakness and service, humility and love. There couldn't be further extremes. Let's move on to point three then in our text. We're going to look at the enemies and the allies. We have enemies and we have allies. Um, for, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power. Uh, uh, to destroy strongholds, we destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's our enemies. Our enemies are strongholds, arguments, and lofty opinions. What do we mean by these words? Or what does Paul mean by these words, actually? Uh, it's interesting that Paul is using uh, these terms that have a heavy military flavor that, that Paul would have been familiar with and uh, the Corinthians living in the uh, Roman-ruled world uh, would have been very familiar with these terms. They would have immediately thought of, of, of warfare. Um, one commentator on, on, the, on the Greek language of this part, uh, text, he translated translates it like this to kind of bring out the flavor of it. He says, um, we demolish sophistries or, or fortified cities of thought. We demolish fortified cities of thought and we demolish every proud obstacle that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every device, it's like a war machine or, or a weapon of attack. We take every device captive for obedience to Christ. Paul is talking in military terms. He's talking about war machines. He's talking about fortified cities uh, that, are, that are meant to resist siege. But he's applying them to the world of thought, to, to, to philosophical systems, to religious systems, or to cut to the point, he's applying them to worldviews. He, and, he's, and he's addressing every single worldview that exists in, the, in these texts. Whatever is a stronghold, whatever is an argument, that's like an organized, planned out attack argument, not just, I like chocolate, no, I like vanilla, not that kind of argument. It's, it's, the, it's like a, 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 a dedicated, organized, focused attack is, is this idea of this argument. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. These are pretty self-explanatory, I think. Uh, so whether it's a, a philosophical system, a religious system, a, a, a scientific system, Paul is saying that there is only one true way of seeing the world, and that is the way that God sees it. If, if Paul's saying if anyone says anything different than what God says about the world, about reality, about who we are, they're, they're um, exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. They're, in essence, usurping the authority that is reserved for God alone. They're taking, attempting to take the throne of God. So this exclusivity probably uh, does, does shock many people. It's not a popular position in today's world. It wasn't popular in Paul's world either, so it's not like we're special. It's never possible, it's never popular to, to say this is true to the exclusion of everything else, especially with something as important as your beliefs. But if you are a believer, we, we need to come to grips with this reality. If, 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 he, if God is the one true God, if he really has created all things, if his estimation of who we are 
and what life is all about is true. Uh, basically, if God has really said, um, then it follows that every worldview, no matter how clever it sounds, no matter how well-developed, no matter how emotionally compelling it is, Every worldview that departs from what God has said is a stronghold and lofty opinion that raises itself against the knowledge of God. And, and again, that's either true or it's not. There's no neutrality here. There's no middle ground. We're in the midst of a battle here, okay? So uh, the, here's, here's another claim that um, believer or unbeliever, I hope this provokes some questions for you. Uh, every other worldview that comes against the Christian worldview, you will end up with a false God, a false gospel, a lesser God, a gospel that can't save. And that's why there is worldview warfare, okay? The Christian is called to meet the false worldviews everywhere they encounter them. We are to identify strongholds. We're to identify these, these fortified cities of thought uh, that say um, God has not said or God hasn't really spoken. We're to identify them for what they are, and we are to level our divine power weapons against them and tear them down. It's kind of weird, isn't it? We're, we're talking about love and humility and service and this, this weakness and gentleness, and then we're saying, destroy them. And I, I'm not going to make an excuse for that, but that's just, that's exactly what Christ did, right? In his weakness, crucified, and in doing that, he made an open show of all the, uh, I think it's in Colossians, made an open show of all these powerful, wicked forces. He put them to open shame, I think is what Paul says, in, in his weakness. And he says if, if the rulers would have known what they were doing, they wouldn't have crucified him. They were suckered into it because of their world power weapons. So there's the enemies. Uh, um, let's look at the allies, and it would be uh, easy to look at all the many worldviews that are out there today, all the different claims to truth that are out there today, and uh, to see how elaborate they are, how deep they are worked into the, the fabric of society. Many worldviews are just assumptions. Take, for example, the evolutionary worldview. Um, in, in, in its worst form of, of, you know, everything coming out of nothing and, and evolving over time with no guiding uh, um, hand or purpose. That's kind of worked into many aspects of our society nowadays. It's just assumed right off the bat. It's not questioned, it's not challenged, it's not even discussed, it's just assumed. So it's easy to look around and see how worldviews like that are so um, widespread and so seemingly deep in our culture and to be intimidated by that. Um, sometimes we might feel like we need to have special expertise in certain fields in order to even begin to battle things like evolution or different scientific claims that, that raise themselves against the knowledge of God. Um, and, and, or in philosophy, you know, special training in philosophy to battle those things. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but what I want to well, I don't want to let you know is that knowing the, the Christian worldview, being rooted and established in the Christian worldview, gives you all the tools you need to do it. That's another pretty bold claim that should bother you. Normal people like us are given the divine power weapons. We're given the tools to tear down the strongholds of the mighty So anyways, uh, it's easy to get intimidated by, by the prevalence of these different worldviews. And so I just want to uh, open our eyes to the many allies that we have working for us in our favor in this world. Ally number one, brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, God has given us each other, uh, past and present, fellow believers, um, because to, for, the, for the edification 
of, of, each, of one another, for the equipping of one another, for the encouragement of one another. You are not expected to fight this battle alone when we're talking about worldview warfare. You're not out there on your own. In fact, it's not good for you to be doing this on your own. God has provided men and women uh, to contribute to the equipping and encouragement of the saint, the building up of the church. Uh, the church is to feed on the word of God, not just for individual fulfillment, but for corporate growth and strengthening. We need to take advantage of that. Uh, the Worldview Weekend Conference is one of those things. The, the, the consistent Sunday morning expositional preaching through the, through the scriptures is a major tool in building up, uh, building up the saints. So it's easy to say um, that we're all family in Christ, and uh, that sounds good on the surface. And we might be tempted to have some kind of idealistic picture of what church life looks like. Um, but I know that there are some in here thinking, these are my allies? <laughs> uh, uh, have you seen how they have offended me? Have you seen how spiritually immature they seem? They're supposed to build me up. These people make it harder for me to live a godly life. That's what we can say sometimes. It's true. I don't, when I'm saying that we're given brothers and sisters uh, in Christ uh, for the building up and encouragement and edification, I know it. There's conflict within the church. There's struggles within the church. with friends like these who needs enemies, that type of thing, well, take heart, take heart. They, they probably think the same about you. And yet, and yet, somehow, God has been faithful and will be faithful to, uh, to sanctify his children, to build his church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. And yes, we're it. For better and for worse, we're it. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are some of your greatest allies in this life, in this battle. Ally number two, all of creation. Like we mentioned earlier, since God has created all things, since God sustains all things, and since God has redeemed and is redeeming all things, then all of creation cries out in testimony to its God and maker. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Hebrews 1 verse 3, uh, he, that's Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprints of his nature. And he that's Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He sustains the universe even now. And then there's uh, Romans 8, 18 through 22. And I don't know if that's in there or not, um, but, but just listen or jot it down because it's worth reading here. Um, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, here's the point. Uh, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it and hoped that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Obviously, that's saying that creation is under a curse, but the point also is that creation is groaning and crying out for freedom from that curse. Uh, we have an ally in creation. Everything that exists has God's fingerprint on it, has God's ID tag on it, um, uh, if lost, returned to, and then God's name is there, okay? Uh, th what this means that is, uh, and this is another thing that you might want to question me about, uh, this means that true science can never contradict the truth of God's word. 
I'm not going to go on. If, if you want to hear more about that, you can ask about it. Um, but uh, not just in the realm of science, but that's just one, one aspect. Um, okay, well, not only can science not contradict God's word, true science can only ever bring the observer face-to-face -face with the fact that he has a creator. That's what true science does. All right, there's one more, one more ally, and he might be the unexpected one. Ally number three, the unbeliever. And what is possibly the most shocking plot twist in this battle is the fact that God has given us an ally in the unbeliever. Unbelievers, just because they're unbelievers, are not your enemy. I'm listing them under allies, not enemies. Take note. Now, we will have enemies in this world, but my point is that just because someone is an unbeliever, they're not your enemy, okay? Um, it's actually much worse than that. The unbeliever is God's enemy, and that's the problem. They can, they can survive being our enemy, uh, but they are enemies with God, and so they deserve our compassion and our pursuit. The ally, uh, the unbeliever has within them a constant witness that cries out to their God and maker. And it's a voice within them that needs to be actively suppressed, constantly suppressed, pushing down this voice that is crying out to God, their maker. And it's never totally silenced. Uh, some people call it conscience. Uh, wh whatever you want to call it, it's the, the image of God that every creature human is made, and that's what's crying out to its maker. What, an, what, an, what a powerful ally we have in the unbeliever. Uh, with enemies like these, who needs friends, right? I'll wait a second. Let that sink in there. All right, so how do we, how do we, how do we find an ally in the unbeliever? I, I want to... Uh, um, Turn to Romans 1. This is just a classic text on it. Um, it's usually used for other things, but I want to um, use it for this. I want to point out some things for this. Romans 1, uh, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, so ungodly and unrighteous men have some kind of truth and they're suppressing it unrighteous, uh, in unrighteousness. Uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, Paul's talking about unbelievers here, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God. They had, they had a truth, some kind of truth of God and they exchanged it for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. In verse 28, uh, I'm sorry. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations uh, with, with, with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. And, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. These are world power weapons. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Wow, that's heavy. Um, yeah, that's heavy. But in, in the midst of all that, you hear again and again, they have this knowledge of God. They have this grasp of truth, and they're suppressing it. They're darkening their minds. They're worshiping other things. They're doing whatever they can do to avoid having to stand before their maker as they are. That's an ally for us. When you have somebody so convinced, or seemingly so convinced, uh, and they, they seem so influential uh, that, that they don't believe in God and that they reject God and that they hate that God that doesn't exist, when they're telling you that, you can either believe what this person says in their anger and in their deception and in their darkened mind, or you can believe that God has said that he knows. He knows me. Just because a person has deceived themselves so well and are so con they're so convincing about it doesn't mean... Uh, we're often intimidated by that is what I'm getting at, and you shouldn't be. God said he knows. And either God's a liar or he's not. He's telling the truth or he's a liar. You have an ally in the unbeliever. He's not your enemy. The, the, uh, the strongholds and lofty opinions and arguments are your enemy. So we recognize that the battleground is everywhere. There's no neutrality. We understand that our weapons are not of this world. And uh, we have identified our enemies and our allies. <clears throat> now, there's one more question that needs to be answered if you're going to wage a successful war, and that is, how do you win? What is victory? Back to our, our, our text in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul lets us know what victory is. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have uh, divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises uh, themselves against, that is raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In our Christian world, again, we might think that this is like, um, you know, I want to take my thoughts captive to make them obedient to Christ. So I don't want to think about bad things. I don't want to think about being angry. That's usually how this verse is seen, and there's truth to that, okay? We, we do want to submit our minds to obey Christ, but Paul is talking about the context of strongholds and thought systems and different worldviews. That's the context that Paul's talking about, and he's saying our goal, our victory is won when we tear down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought, every worldview, every claim into the submission of Christ. That's victory the knowledge of God and obedience to Christ. So we're just going to look real quick about, at these two, the knowledge of God. And I just have some scriptures here um, that, that should shape our understanding of what the knowledge of God is, okay? Uh, Proverbs 2, 4, and 5, if you seek it, that's wisdom, like silver, and search for wisdom as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. Hosea 6.6, 6, God is speaking to the prophet, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God would rather we know him than, than go through the motions. Romans 11.33, a, a classic. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. In our book this morning, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and 
through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Two more. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. How or in what way? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And one of my all-time favorites, John 17, 3. This is Jesus praying to the Father before he goes to the cross. And he's, saying, he's praying in the, in, in the presence of his disciples. He says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, so consider this, to, to know God is eternal life. When we're talking about knowledge of God. To know God is eternal life. So our, our, our modern understanding of what knowledge is as like a, a, a Google or Wikipedia fact that is kind of stored in our, in our minds is woefully inadequate to describe what we're talking about here. When we talk about knowledge in Scripture, uh, we are talking about uh, um, knowledge of God that is intimate, that is personal, that's relational. It's life-changing. It's life-giving. And to truly know God is not to have a fact about God memorized. To truly know God is to have and experience eternal life. That's pretty amazing. That is, that is really a blessing. Well, secondly, um, knowledge of God, uh, obedience to Christ. This is, just, this is really one coin with two sides. Knowledge of God, obedience to Christ. Uh, knowledge of God will bring you to obey Christ. And obey, obedience to Christ will reveal more knowledge about who God is. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this was referenced I believe in the, in the Grace Partnership video, uh, the Great Commission. And Jesus came to them, this is after his resurrection, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth, not will be mine, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Philippians 2, uh, 9 through 11. Uh, Therefore God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's, that's the battleground again everywhere and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's, um, again, that confession is a, a, not just grudgingly admitting it, but it is a pledge of fealty and obedience, that kind of confession, when you bow the knee. Um, man, I really want to read this. Is, is Revelation 19 on there? It is? Okay, good, good, good. All right, let's read this. This is exciting to me. You know, Revelation is a weird book, okay? It's got a lot of stuff in it, but this, we want, we, you can't miss this, okay? You can't miss this. This is near the end of everything, uh, but also the end of the book. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped with blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. God has said. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Obedience to Christ is victory. So, so with that glorious and terrifying image in mind, uh, I want to recall you to the Great Commission. Um, we are in the, the army of the white horse riders now. Okay, that, that image um, given in Revelation, we are, we are in that now. We are part of the, the, the host of the armies of heaven following our conqueror into battle. We conquer in his name now, not by using the worldly weapons of force and deception and power, but by the foolishness of preaching and living out the gospel. That's how we win. That's how we conquer. So, um, uh, uh, Dan, if you, if you guys are ready to compare and play a song for us, uh, I'm going to just close real quick uh, um, and just touch on these four points that we went through, but just... Uh, so far, I've given big picture, uh, big picture stuff. I want to just close with just some quick application for each of us in here, okay, on these four points. Um, so, uh, what can you do this morning is what I'm getting at uh, as, you, as you walk out of here. Well, well, one, find your battleground. I don't mean find like you have to search for it. I mean recognize your battleground. Are you a mother? Are you a father? Are you a wife? Are you a husband? Are you a, a trash collector? Are you an engineer out at KSC? Are you a manager at KFC? Are you a teacher? Are you an accountant? Are you, I, I can go on and on. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll cover the whole range of our, our, of our experience in here. Where you are now is your battleground. Find your battleground since the whole of creation is God's then there is not one area of life that escapes his claim of ownership. And so we need men and women who are living in this world, in all areas of this world, uh, but living by the gospel in every sphere of life. And, and you and I are called to stand and fight the false worldviews that we encounter on this battleground. Secondly, uh, gear up. We have been given the spirit who will lead us into all truth the Holy Spirit, in John 14, 15, and 16, those three chapters, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. He won't draw attention to himself. He will point you to everything that I have said. Let me just ask you real quick, where, what's the only place in this whole universe, I mean it, this whole universe, that we can go to hear what Jesus said? You can answer. Yeah. I just want you to understand this. The, the entire universe, there's one place that we have been given to go to hear what Jesus said. It's this, this, this wonderful book that we have. Hence the, the beauty of the Worldview Weekend, it, the first one being focused on the Word of God in our day. That's, the, that's where it all starts. That's the foundation of it all. So, so gear up. Um, the Bible uh, uh, reveals our battleground, but it also equips us to fight on that battleground. Uh, third, focus on the real enemy. Um, the real enemy is not the unbeliever. And this is, this is hard, because uh, when you talk about people in, in the abstract, it's easy to talk about them, but then when you're face-to-face -face with someone who has consistently done you wrong, who has consistently hurt you, uh, it's easy to start thinking of them as the enemy. Uh, that is a world power weapon at work, and we need to uh, fight to not live by that. Okay? Focus on the real enemy, which are the strongholds and fortified cities and, and lofty opinions that hold the unbeliever in bondage to sin. And finally, uh, walk in the humble boldness of victory. Uh, the victory is already won. We are in between D-Day and V-Day. All right, the, the decisive battle has been fought. Victory is won. 
But there's still lives at stake. There are still souls at stake. There's still glory at stake. Uh, there's, there's still important work to be done. <clears throat> um, let me just say this. Uh, a, a humble boldness, I, I wanted to just get that phrase out there, a humble boldness walking in victory. Uh, a humble boldness sees the gravity of what's at stake, okay? We see what's at stake, and yet it, it, it still marches forward in faith. That victory is won. We, we see what's at stake. It's a nasty battle out in this world as Christians. It's going to hurt. You're going to get beat up. The, the humble boldness will allow you to recognize that, but walk into that regardless in faith that Christ has won the victory. So we're going to uh, sing this song, and if there's time, if we're able to, if there's any questions, we can do that. If not, we can just close and, and go. Thanks. Sister.